Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, John Cowman talks about why supported living is so important for people with learning disabilities. He discusses the different types of property required and the types of property he thinks will be wanted in the future. John also shares advice for property investors who are thinking of developing property for people with a learning disability. Hi, John. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah, really good. And thanks. Nice to um, speak with you today, Lisa. Just back from um, 10 days leave. So yes, Ooh, feeling, okay. um, feeling rested and, and, and ready for the, the next set of challenges, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. For people who don't know you, John, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you? Yeah, of course. So I'm John Cameron and I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Mencap. Um, and have been now for about five and a half years. So I'm um, Mencap, as you know, is the leading charity for people with learning disabilities in the UK and um, has a variety of um, activities and services that we offer. And my portfolio covers all of our direct service offerings. So from social care through to employment, through to retail stores, etc. So a really exciting job. Um, I'm a physiotherapist by background and qualified in Dublin back a long time ago. I won't say when, but enough <laughs> that I've passed my 20th anniversary, certainly. Um, <clears throat> but I joined, um, I, 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 I pursued physiotherapy as a career because I always had a real passion for working with people with um, long-term intractable disabilities as opposed to short-term sports injuries. And I've worked extensively throughout my career in the NHS and in the charitable sector with people from very severe head injury, cerebral palsy, spina bifida, and then certainly in the last 15 years, predominantly with people with learning disabilities. So I'm very, very driven um, to making a difference. I, I, I genuinely believe that everybody with the right support can live you know, independent and fulfilled lives and become active citizens in their own communities. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's where I'm on my cup. Fantastic. And that leads really nicely into why we're talking about supported living, really, doesn't it? It's a nice kind of introduction into it about, you know, and I, I, I guess one of the, the questions from your, I'd like to ask you is, you know, why is supported living needed from your perspective? What is it about supported living that's needed? Yeah, I think it's part of the um, overall evolution for people with learning disabilities and, and other support needs you know if we if we go back to the publication of valuing people back in the late 90s and and what that really brought was that concept that living a life in a an institutionalized way was just not right um i always one of my um dear colleagues gary shipley remind or told me and reminds me often of the phrase gone around the bend and and that phrase comes from the fact that institutions like long-stay hospitals etc for people with learning disabilities weren't visible from the road and you had to go round the bend to find them and well, that's, I didn't know that's where it came from yeah, oh, that's okay. where the phrase you know yeah. they've gone around the bend comes from and what what an awful way to, to live your life and so the advent of community living um, from long-stay hospitals with their closure in the 90s um, was great, you know, and it brought people more visibly into the communities. However, the institutionalization of those um, 
those homes remained, that kind of residential care. Um, and, and supported living broke that down. You know, how wonderful that somebody became a tenant for the first time rather than a resident. How mm-hmm. wonderful that people could um, spend their money the way they wanted to spend their money and make the life choices that they needed to make. And so that's what supported living represents to me its freedom of choice, its independence, its the ability to make mistakes, you know, the ability to take risk, um, which I think is fundamental to growth and happiness for us all, not just for people with learning disabilities. So I think it's 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 an absolute, you know, we have a lovely phrase at Mencap and it was something that I heard in the first days after joining and it, it stays with me all the time is that we want people to live in ordinary houses on ordinary streets. You know, we want them to have ordinary lives. And, and with an ordinary life, same as yours and mine, mm. Lisa, comes risk and comes anxiety sometimes and comes uncertainty. And we're not trying to remove that. And I think supported living and the arrangements within supported living helps us to, to, to encourage those things for people much more than residential care. So it's it's why I it's why it is absolutely the the predominant um, style of support that we provide at Mencap and increasingly so we signed up to a strategy three years ago to never open another residential care home at Mencap and we haven't so we don't accept any you know if local authorities ask us we will set up support services but only in in supported living or in domiciliary care not in residential care and we've held strong to that despite some of the opportunities that have have come to us to to take on residential care we have chosen not to do that and i think that's absolutely right that's really fascinating. It's really good to hear, you know, that you've got that and, and that's what you're sticking with. And I guess people often have a, a, a preconception of what supported living properties are like. Um, and I think everyone, yeah, sometimes they've got it right, sometimes they've got it wrong. But I guess what kind of property is needed when you're talking about supported living properties? What sort of properties? So I, I guess I've summed it up in in, in, in that phrase, ordinary mm. houses on ordinary streets. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I love, I love when I go out to services and I do it all the time. And I, I know it's on a certain road and I would never, I never look at the number of the house before I get there. I know what road I'm traveling to because I want to know if I can pick it out. And I'm always really encouraged when I can. Great. I'm always really encouraged when I get there and I think it could be any one of these houses. <laughs> and the only, the only reason I know which one it is is because I have the address. And that's that's what I want for everyone with a learning disability is just to, to be on a, a, an ordinary street, um, part of the community, not identifiable, as any particular type of citizen with any particular characteristics, but just to be free to live their lives where they want to live. Now, I think I, I spoke about the evolution of, of supported living, you know, from that, that point of residential care. And I think we're in for some really exciting times. And I think the reason for that is that um, as it's evolved, in the same way that inst- the, 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 the Longstay hospitals closed, and the, but we still maintained residential care. One of the characteristics of supported living that has survived the evolution is group living. 
Mm. Um, and so the types of properties that we see in supported living are also often quite large properties. They probably have three to four adults on average living in them. And then you've got, you know, in a lot of them, you might have a, a sleep-in room or you'll have some type of space. So they tend to be those kind of four or five bedrooms, quite big properties. Mm. Um, in Mencap's case, I'm delighted to say that with in partnership with our, our, our housing arm, Golden Lane Housing, um, we have beautiful properties and the standard of our properties is exceptionally high. That's not always the case. It's not always possible as well, especially where social housing is given over to supported living. And we, um, we see maybe properties that are a bit tired and a bit um, run down. For me, though... Um, is group living the way forward? And the way I think about this is that I think it could be a very good choice for some people. But for many people, it's imposed upon them because of the nature of the properties. So, you know, organisations like Mencap have landlords or lease agreements, and in some cases, rare, but we own some properties. And so we're, we're bought into those properties. Um, it brings certain challenges, you know? So why would I want to choose who a person lives with? You know, that's not my choice. And, and whilst we do a lot to enable choice, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a bit limited in terms of, you know, you're living in, in, a, in a house where three other people are gonna live um, and we will choose those people with you but nonetheless, you're not choosing to live alone, mm. or not alone, but live independently. And so I think the next evolution of supported living is towards front door living. And I've seen great examples of this in Mencap, where we've worked with local authorities for independent apartments and flats for people. And I've seen it firsthand also in 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 Holland and other places where it works wonderfully well. Mm. And people have the whole freedom to design their own property and um, the way they want it, to, to live independently and be able to close their door and, and make the choices they wish, but to have the support around them. And I think Lisa, as we move forward, that's going to become far more common. However, in order for local authorities to make that work, I think it will probably involve clustered environments. And I know the concept of core and cluster can really ring alarm bells with some people. And what I'd say to that is the core and clusters that existed some years back also existed with less sophisticated practice and less sophisticated um, regulation and less sophisticated and lower expectations of support standards. Mm. Now that we have largely um, addressed those things, so at Mencap we've got the best practice framework I've worked with called What Matters Most. We are, as you know, regulated by CQC in England and then CIW and RQIA in Wales and Northern Ireland. And I think core and cluster in the presence of good practice frameworks and good regulation can be totally liberating for mm. people with learning disabilities. So in terms of the properties going forward, I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. Mm. Um, 
at the very least, I think we will see um, renovation of tired properties or the purchase of much higher spec properties. Um, and the other thing that I would mention here is properties that have the ability to be um, readily um, readily there's a word and it's gone out of my head that they can <laughs> readily um, adapted is the yeah. word I'm looking for for people with various needs so mm -hmm. that it's not a static property for example you know wouldn't it be lovely to live in a listed building well it would until you need a stair lift um, yeah. so we have to have properties that are readily adapted but I do think we'll move more and more towards front door living and by that front door living you're talking about there being some communal space or some staff on site so there's access if people support if people need it is that what you're thinking or are you thinking I've, I've, we have both so mm. we do have um we do have um environments where you've got independent flats um beautiful one in taunton where we've got beautiful independent flats and they have um communal spaces that people can mm. access we also have other places which don't have large communal spaces, much more what you would be used to if you've lived in a, so I live in, a, in, a, in an apartment and there's no communal space within my block. No. And a lot of us are used to that. Um, the, other, the other model that we have in Newcastle, which I love, is uh, uh, an environment where we have, I think somewhere in the region of 12 to 16 apartments. Um, there's probably <clears throat> six or seven different so social care providers there. So you don't have to be supported by Mencap to live there. Um, you could be supported by the Brandon Trust or you could be supported by Dimensions and they are, they're um, in reaching to you because that's your property, that's where you live. Um, and then in that particular circumstance, um, Mencap don't provide any of the social care support, but we provide all of the concierge services. Right. Okay. So we we manage the communal spaces and mm -hmm. we we help with people's finances, etc. And that's a fantastic model. Mm -hmm. it, it again shows you the level of choice that people can um, can invoke in the sense that they can. They, it's not a single provider, and I think that's fantastic. Very similar to the model in in Holland that I've mm -hmm. seen. So it's a variety. Um, ideally, you want, ideally, first and foremost, I want um, people to be active citizens in their community. Now, having communal space often helps you to develop that very local home network, if it, it, it's within a, a, a block of apartments, for example not having that communal space sometimes encourages you to go out into your community to find that those yeah. relationships and that socialization so i think it's different for each person and, and fundamentally as we all know what we want supported living to be is what the person wants and in order to do that we have to have as much choice as possible yeah absolutely um obviously there's issues with supply of properties at the moment what do, what do you see as the issues of, of trying to get properties for for individuals at the moment well i mean we know that social housing is in itself a, a, a critical area of um of under resource and and, and and therefore finding properties that will be supported through housing benefit etc is, is is in that category um there's also the adaptation potential that's always an issue 
So I, I think there's a lot of um, simple, some more complex adaptations, but nonetheless they're essential. And, and just picking up an apartment off um, uh, the, the normal supply chain, it might not work for everyone. So I think the adaptations is a particular thing. And then I think it's also around the, I wonder sometimes is it more around the rental caps by local authorities that drive the lack of supply as opposed to the fundamental lack of housing. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily as important as the limitation on choice because of rentals. Now we see this particularly in the southeast. As you know, Mencap operates across um, the entire of England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Southeast England is a particular problem for us because the, the, the properties demand much higher rents and local authorities struggle then to, to afford that through housing benefit. Um, what we're seeing increasingly, and we're working with several property developers, Golden Lane Housing included, is that they are repurposing um, available stock. Yeah. So we've got an example where, for example, recently we've purchased a hotel and then we're repurposing that by, by adapting it into um, front door living units, mm. um, which is a good example of how you can use something that is, is available to us, but as I say, to repurpose it. And the other thing that we're seeing is new builds. Mm. You know, um, and, and property investors thinking of supported living at the point of design um, rather than at the point of purchase. And that's a really big difference because that's when we can have flexible adaptations. It's where we can drive really high quality um, living environments for people with learning disabilities, but in a way that suits their needs and suits the um, available support. So that's what we're seeing um, in terms of... Um, the supply and, and some of the challenges we're facing. And when you're talking about those adaptations, what kind of things do you think people need to be thinking about at those levels? So, so some of the some of the stories. It, it, it's what again what gets me out of bed in the morning. Mm. Um, some of the stories that have really um, impacted on me are particularly people who are in long stay placements in assessment and treatment units. And rather than almost step them down into residential care, we've gone from ATU to supported living. Straight away. And straight away. And, and a beautiful example of a young man, his name is Sean, and he would be very happy for me to talk to you about him. Um, lived in England, his family are from Derry in Northern Ireland and about two years ago we repatriated Chan. He was on a four to one care package in an ATU. He now Can lived... I just explain that to people? So that means four members of staff supporting yeah, him. No, no, it's fine. It's just so people yeah. understand. So that's four members of staff supporting him 24 hours a day. Yes, yeah. yeah, he was in a long stay hospital always with four people around him. Um, Shan now lives in this beautiful bungalow in Derry. It's about a mile from his family, so he's back at home. He only ever has two-to-one support, so two people, not four. Very often he has one person. He's out on the community with the support. He hadn't been out of the long-stay hospital in years, and that all went supportive living. So for that, for, for, for him particularly, the adaptations are um, a little bit unusual. So really good soundproofing. So Sean is, is it, when he um, expresses himself, he's quite loud. Um, 
a lot around the durability of fixtures and fittings because unfortunately when he does display behaviors that challenge they can be quite violent and they and he he can break things so some durability there um he lives in a very minimalist um environment so there aren't very many trappings or or um items that can be moved about so his tv is behind protective screens etc for others it might be um a, a lot around mobility so, you know, it could be ramps, it could be, and where possible, we try to camouflage those as much as possible because it's one of the ways in which you'll identify that somebody is vulnerable. So we try not to, and it can be anything then. It can be stair lifts, it can be, you know, um, high-low kitchens, it can be wide, bigger spaces for turning circles of wheelchairs, etc. So the, the list is, is, is reasonably infinite, I would say. Um, but I would say this, that some, I'm, I'm sorry, then the other big adaptations obviously now are assistive technology. So things where we can have people take control of their environments that might be curtains, blinds, um, it can be things like medication prompts, et cetera, where the assistive technology is really enabling a more independent life. So lots and lots of different things. The, the, the property question is though, you know, I've given you the extreme of a, a, a listed building that you can't adapt, but there's a lot of newer properties that are built in a way that some of, um, for example, soundproofing is very difficult mm. or um, the walls are not, it's not brick and they yeah. don't lend themselves very well to, um, kind of physical um, abuse at, at times. So that's so there. That's what I mean by the adaptations. And, and that's why thinking supported living at the point of design, wonderful. You know, more of that, please, rather than <laughs> adapting buildings that may not be suitable for purpose. Absolutely. And it's getting providers involved early, isn't it? Having the conversations about people who are going to be living in the properties and really working that out. And if you can do that and get something that's going to meet everyone's needs, then yeah. you're going to have long term tenants, aren't you, as well? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really nice. So we have a wonderful scheme and, and I love the name of it. Um, it's, it's just called Great Tenants. <laughs> And, and the reason we call it that is that people with learning disabilities make great tenants. You know, they yeah. often stay for quite a long time, not yeah. like, you know, the general public who might be changing tenancy all the time. And as a landlord, you have to go and find new things. Don't, you know, and um, they're really proud of where they live. You know, these mm. are people who are delighted to have independence on their own property. They are, they love socializing, etc. but they're not often the ones who have the noisiest parties. Do you know that way? And so we, we describe this, this kind of, this great tenants, um, as, as, as a means by which landlords should really be delighted to, to have people with learning disabilities as their tenants because they really are great. And, you know, it leads me on to that bit about, you know, if I was going to offer some advice to developers mm. or it would be involved, the, as you say, the providers, but hey, involve people with learning disabilities in your design, not just the providers of the support, but go and speak to people with learning disabilities, understand what it is. Um, don't scrimp. You know, this, this, is, um, this is not a privilege. 
you know, we all want to live in, in, in nice environments. And if you're going to design environments for supported living, make sure they're really nice, you know, mm. make sure that they've got good fixtures and fittings. You know, this is as, as, as important for people learning disabilities as it is for you and I. I, as I've already mentioned, think of adaptations, think, think of what it would take. I would strongly advise um, any potential developers to be thinking of the role of assistive technology and how they can fit that out at design, uh, um, sorry, at build, mm -hmm. because it will save people a lot of money in the long term if you're thinking more digitally enabled and assistive technology enabled living. Um, and then finally, I would just say, you know, really think about how you can achieve independent and independence and choice around that front door living. And let's not have everybody living in, in just apartments. There are different ways. I mean, you will know it from maybe student days or other times in your life where you've lived in in a house that's being converted to, you know, still front door living, but it's not all just traditional or all um, one size fits all. So be imaginative, just, um, and also that what you described there, think of those communal spaces and how you might exploit some of the natural space on the footprint to help people come together and enjoy life and enjoy socialising. Oh, John, that's been brilliant. Thank you. It's been really great chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa.